scriptures of the New Testament, the second half of our Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, and we're reading from verse 15. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul writes in the opening section uh, to the believers at Ephesus about their spiritual blessings in Christ. And he continues to write about that and to develop that further now in this section from verse 15. And that's why he begins verse 15 for this reason. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know God better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ even when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed Christ to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amen. <clears throat> Three in the church Bible. And we have seen already the various factors, the different people, that the Lord used uh, to bring this church into being. We thought about that uh, two weeks ago, Acts 18 and 19. And then last time we came to our study proper, uh, or to the book proper, and we're looking at Ephesians chapter 1, page 1173. And this first chapter of Ephesians falls into two parts. And last time we looked at verses 3 to 14, where Paul sets out um, the spiritual blessings in Christ that these believers in Ephesus and we who believe in Caiaphas that we have. They are elect in Christ. They are redeemed in Christ. They are sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit. And we were seeing last time how being a Christian simply gets better and better and better. 
to be a Christian is good now. Because we have the forgiveness of sins. We have peace with God. We have the joy of the Holy Spirit. When we die and go to heaven, it will be better. But the best of all is when Christ comes again and brings in the new heavens and the new earth. Now those blessings are so wonderful that Paul in verse 3 declares and he bursts out in worship Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now the second half of the chapter runs from verse 15 to verse 23. And Paul still has these blessings in mind. And he wants his readers to realise that though they already have these blessings, they need to experience them more and more. It's a bit like you go to uh, the beach on a summer's day and uh, you will see some folk um, wanting to explore the sea, the waters, and they will do so by rolling up their trouser legs, um, taking off their shoes and their socks, and they'll just walk along the edge of the water. And there's other people and they are stripped down to the basics. Either wearing swimming trunks uh, or a bathing suit. And they go right into the water. And they swim in the water. And they rise in the crest of the waves. And they experience, um, uh, they experience <coughs> the water in a way in which you don't. When you simply walk calmly and serenely along the beach with it lapping around your toes. And you see, walking along the beach is like simply, uh, is like having the blessings that God gives in Christ. But we've got to get into the waters. We've got to get into these blessings and experience them in their fullness. And that's what Paul is dealing with now in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 to 23. Or if you want to change the illustration, it's been announced recently that Baron and Baroness Carrick Fergus are going to have a baby. And that baby, it doesn't have the first idea about what awaits it. It is going to be a royal baby. And all the privilege and all the position and all the responsibility that comes with that. But it doesn't know it, that it has that royal position. It's going to have to be um, um, enlightened in that. And that's what Paul is saying here. In the second half of Ephesians 1 verse 15. In Christ we have all this royal privilege and blessing. 
but we need to come into the fullness. We need to be enlightened in the fullness of understanding of that. There was a minister about 400 years ago called John Owen. He ministered in England, in Oxford, with the Congregational Church. And he had this to say, and it ties in with this passage. Unacquaintedness with our mercies and our privileges is our sin as well as our trouble. In other words, not knowing, not experiencing our mercies and our privileges is our sin as well as our trouble. We hearken not to the voice of the Spirit which is given unto us that we may know the things that are freely bestowed on us of God. And he says then, this makes us go heavily when we might rejoice. We find the Christian life hard and a slog when we might rejoice. And this causes us to be weak where we might be strong in the Lord. Not knowing, not experiencing our mercies and our privileges is our sin as well as our trouble. And so this morning our theme is experiencing every spiritual blessing in Christ. Last week we thought about having every spiritual blessing in Christ. But we want now to think about experiencing every spiritual blessing in Christ. And Paul develops this uh, in the verses 15 to 23. And we want to think about this under two headings. First of all, Paul's ceaseless thanksgiving. Verses 15 and 16. Paul writes for this reason or because of this and so he's looking back at this point to all those blessings that he's written about uh, in verses 3 to 14 and to get the sense of that um, uh, we need to note that phrase for this reason or because of this. And then to see his ceaseless thanksgiving which flows out of these blessings and in response to these blessings we need to move through to verse 16 and leave the rest of verse 15 for the meantime. So it reads like this. For this reason, verse 16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You see, Paul, having seen in his mind all the spiritual blessings that these men and women in Ephesus enjoy, those that came to faith through his three-year ministry there, and now those who have come to faith since and after his three-year ministry there, as he thinks of their blessings, he gives thanks to God first and foremost. This election, 
this redemption in Christ, this sealing uh, in Christ with the Spirit, is God's work. It's God's work. And so, the honour belongs to God, the glory belongs to God, not the evangelist Paul, not um, Apollos or those others that were involved in the early days of this church beginning. The glory doesn't go to the one who believes. It goes to God. And so Paul is filled with thanksgiving as he thinks about these spiritual blessings in Christ. But Paul doesn't just give thanks to God for their salvation. He is still immediately after their conversion. He doesn't just do it at the time. He's doing it weeks and months and years later. Because he realizes this is such a wonderful thing. And I want us to ask ourselves this morning, those of us who are Christians, those of us who have these spiritual blessings of God and Christ, that we know this morning I am elect, we know this morning I am redeemed in Christ, we know this morning I am sealed in Christ, is there ceaseless thanksgiving to God from your heart, from your lips, that God has done this for you. And as you look around your fellow members in the church, and as you see the different backgrounds and the different circumstances and the different ways in which God has brought them out of their sin and brought them into Christ, then is there also the ceaseless thanksgiving to God for them? Or do we no longer marvel at God's saving grace in Christ to us and to others. There's a great danger that we become familiar with these things and we take them for granted. Paul doesn't. And then in the rest of verse 15, and this is where we need to go back now to verse 15, because after he has um, expressed his thanksgiving to God, for what he's done in the lives of these people in Christ. Paul now um, notes two key evidences that these men and women are indeed in Christ. You see, sometimes people say to me, how can I be sure that I am saved? How can I know that I'm saved? And Paul says here, of these believers in whom Christ has been working, look at what he says. I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. How will you know if your children are saved? How will you know that your spouse or your neighbor or your friend is saved? 
Paul says there are two tests that we can apply to our own lives. And we can look for in the lives of others. Faith in the Lord Jesus. Do I have faith in the Lord Jesus? He's not asking, do I have faith in prayer? He's not saying, do you have faith in Bible reading? He doesn't say, do you have faith in church attendance? Or do you have faith in the sacraments? Or faith in yourself? He says, no, do you have faith in the Lord Jesus? And if you're not a Christian here this morning, this is what it means to become a Christian. It is to have faith in nothing or no one else except Jesus Christ. And faith means knowing. Knowing the facts about Jesus Christ. Knowing who he is. And what he's done. But faith is more than knowing facts. It's about believing. It's about believing that those things that we learn about Christ, they're true. But then faith is more than knowing and believing things to be true. Faith is trusting. Faith is staking my whole life my present, my future, on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That he is sinless. That he is the sin-bearing Saviour. The one that I, whom I am to know about. The one whom I am to believe is truth. And the one in whom I am to stake my life. Faith in the Lord Jesus. If we have that, then we belong to God. But another aspect of this is, or another sign, another evidence, another test, is love for other believers. Paul says, having heard of your love, for all the saints. God is love. And in our salvation, God pours his love into our hearts in Christ. And he sweeps us off our feet by his love for us in Christ. And we can't take it in that God loves me with all my sin and with all my unloveliness. But he loves me. And Paul says, if we know that in Christ, then we will love other Christians. Love is the most basic Christian grace. And scripture teaches us that if someone does not have love for the Christians that are in their family, that are in the church, despite whatever um, 
um, things may be unlovely about those Christians. If we do not love them, then the scriptures say, we're not saved. We're not saved. It's the most basic Christian grace. It's the most fundamental evidence that someone is saved. And this love, it's not sentiment. It's not where we're throwing our arms around each other. Um, This love, it's like Christ's love. It's self-sacrificing. It sacrifices itself for others. It's willing to die for others. We cannot be Christians and not love the saints. And we cannot be Christians and not love all the saints. You can't say, I can't say, well, I'm willing to love this Christian and that Christian and that Christian, well, because they're like me, they talk like me, they think like me, they act like me, but I'm not going to love him or her because they're from a different background, they're from a different uh, social background, they have different political views from me. We can't say that. We have to love all who are loved by Christ and who love Christ. So, Paul's ceaseless thanksgiving. Let's notice then, secondly, his ceaseless intercession. His ceaseless intercession. And it's here now that he comes uh, to deal particularly with this whole matter of experiencing every spiritual blessing in Christ. Yes, faith and love, they're the fundamentals. They're the basics. They're the ABC, if we want to put it like that, of our spiritual blessings. But we've got to get beyond the ABC and our experience of God's grace and blessings in Christ. It's got to be deeper. And so Paul says, In verse 15, Therefore I also, and we go again to verse 16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He hasn't stopped praying for them. Now Paul could have stopped there and not elaborated on what his prayer was. And he could have done that on the grounds, well, the needs of believers differ. They differ according to our circumstances. They differ according to our struggles. They differ according to our responsibilities. They differ according uh, to our situations. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't leave a blank for you or me to fill in whatever it is that we sense we need or whatever we sense our fellow believers need. Now look at what Paul prays for. I keep asking, verse 17, 
that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him, that is God, better. And I'm glad the NIV has translated spirit with a capital S. It's a witness of the New King James and the King James and other versions that they don't recognize this to be the Spirit of God. What is Paul praying for? How will these men and women experience all these riches that they have in Christ? How will they go from having them to experiencing them? Well, it's through the work of the Spirit in their lives that their enjoyment of God and his salvation in Christ will increase. And so Paul goes on then to, to tease that out in the following verses. He prays that they may know the hope of God's calling or the hope to which you have been called is the way that it is in the NIV. Verse 18 That you may know the hope to which he has called you. Literally it is the hope of God's calling. What's Paul saying? Well, think about it. Before God called us to salvation in Christ, what were we? Well, we were without hope. We were without God in the world. And the gospel of Jesus Christ brought us hope. And that hope, by hope, Paul means direction and purpose and assurance in our lives. But you see, that was then. Life does not remain static for you and me as believers. No, as Christians, we come into new challenges and we take on new responsibilities and we meet new disappointments and we enter new situations. And in the midst of what sometimes are painful and life-changing experiences, we need to know the hope of God's calling. Paul is saying we need to know through the work of the Holy Spirit in us his greatness, God's greatness, God's goodness, God's grace all over again and to hold fast our assurance, our confidence in God and his purpose. You see, this is experiencing our blessings in Christ when I when you can hold on to the hope of God's calling in the midst of distressing experiences and throughout our lives what distressing experience what new responsibility what recent disappointment have you known in your life or are you facing this morning as a Christian 
Do you know the hope of God's calling? Are you holding on firm and steadfast to God's calling in Christ to you in the midst of that? Then verse 18, Paul uh, adds, he prays that they will know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He wants them to experience the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now we need to be clear what Paul is not saying here. He's not saying, I want you to think about your inheritance in Christ. He's not saying, I want you to keep in mind heaven. He's not saying, I want you to keep in mind you have eternal life. He's not talking about their inheritance. He's talking rather about the inheritance that is God's. Have you ever thought about that? I'd never thought about that before. That God has an inheritance. And God is laying up an inheritance for himself. And it's not in the material world. It's not a place. It's not a product. It is a people. It's the saints. God's inheritance is the saints. You and I who believe this morning, you and I who are elect in Christ, redeemed in Christ, sealed in Christ, we are that inheritance. And that is an unbelievable, almost an unbelievable thought. Yes, weak, Christian, frail Christian, pathetic Christian, inconsistent Christian, that I am, that you are, yet we are the inheritance of God. His inheritance. We are his treasure box, as it was saying to the boys and girls. And despite all your sins and all your faults now, God sees you as his glorious inheritance. As if Malachi writes, they shall be mine, or they are mine. And again, this is something we would never grasp or believe if the Holy Spirit did not enlighten our minds to understand it. I am, you are, his glorious inheritance. You see, that's the difference from having a simple and simplistic faith to experiencing the riches of our faith. Then look finally in verse 19 where Paul says that he's praying that they will know 
his incomparably great power for us who believe. And here's the issue that Paul is dealing with. He's just said that you and I and the Ephesians who are saved in Christ, that we are God's inheritance and we are his glorious inheritance. Do you feel this morning glorious? Do you look glorious this morning? Do you live this morning as one who is glorious? No, we don't. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done in me and in you and in each one of us before we will be to the praise of the glory of God's grace. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. But we're a bit like a, a house that has been run down, neglected over the years. There's a lot of work that's got to be done before the angels can come and stop and look at us and be filled with worship of God and say, look at the job that God has made of him. Look at the job that God has done in her. And you see, we might be inclined to ask, how will it ever happen? How will I be lifted from being this weak, pathetic Christian that I am to being the glorious inheritance of God? And Paul says, it will happen because of God's incomparably great power for us who believe. God is a master builder. And no run down life, no broken life, no sinful life will ever frustrate this or beat this master builder. He's a master craftsman. What an encouragement to you this morning if you're here and you're not a Christian. You look at your life. Perhaps you look around you at the others in church this morning and say, well, yes, God could save them because they were not that bad. But look at my life. Look at my life. And Paul says, yes, look at your life. And this God in Christ is a master craftsman. And he takes the worst of lives, the most despicable, and he transforms them and he changes them in Christ. And he makes them his glorious inheritance. And he does that by his incomparably great power. And non-Christian, what are you to do? You're to believe. You're to lay hold of this God in Christ. And you're to cry out to him. Make my miserable, wretched life this glorious inheritance. This glorious dwelling place for yourself. 
And that's an ongoing thing for us who are Christians. Paul recognizes that there are obstacles in our lives. There are remaining sins. There are inherent weaknesses of character. There are enslaving habits. There are preventing circumstances. And he says, God will explode every last one of them. It's the word dynamite. You put dynamite in something and it just blows the obstacle apart. Whatever it is that's hindering that. If, if you're making a road and there's rock, then the road man will use dynamite and it blows it apart. And you see, God will blow apart. He'll explode. He'll overcome everything that hinders his purpose in order to achieve his purpose in you and me. Verse 19. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. Now we all love examples, don't we? And so in verses 21 and 22, Paul, I think, is realizing somebody's going to say, but Paul, Paul, that, that couldn't happen. Couldn't happen in my life. Paul says, I want to show you the example that is most glorious of all, that is most wonderful of all, that demonstrates most fully of all God's incomparably great power. So I want to take you to the tomb where Jesus lay after he was killed by the forces of wickedness at work in this world. And there on the third day, God showed his incomparably great power by raising Jesus from the dead. And he has enthroned him in the heavenly places. And he rules over all the forces of wickedness that work in our world today. And you see, Paul is reasoning like this. If God has accomplished his purpose in the Christ, he will surely accomplish his purpose in Christ's people. <laughs> in his people. And so Paul here then is bringing before these believers now their need to experience their every spiritual blessing in Christ. They have it. They're like the little baby that is being carried in Catherine's womb. All royal privilege. And yet, she's going to have to, or that baby here, she's going to have to come to experience it. And you and I have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We've got to come to experience it. Now. And we experience it by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Assuring us of our calling. Making us aware that we are God's inheritance. And showing us that we have this incomparably great power of God at work in us. So as we close, let me ask you a question. 
What are you praying for yourself? What are you praying for yourself? Are you praying for yourself as Paul prayed here? That you will experience, not just have, but experience your spiritual blessings in Christ. What are you praying for your fellow Christian in our congregation? Are we praying again for the enlightening ministry of the Holy Spirit to be upon them? No matter what challenge, no matter what opposition. So they are experiencing the riches of their salvation in Christ. What are you praying for the non-Christian that comes into contact with our church? Are you praying for this enlightening work of the Holy Spirit that they will come to see what God offers them in Christ and what God gives in Christ to those who believe? A non-Christian you're here this morning in church and you're not a Christian then you need this enlightening work of the Holy Spirit that you come to understand and you come to experience the blessing of salvation in Christ having every spiritual blessing in Christ experiencing every spiritual blessing in Christ Amen Let's pray We thank you Almighty God for your grace and your goodness your great salvation that has been accomplished in Christ. And we thank you that this salvation is ours as we believe in him. We pray that we would not only have this salvation, but experience the breadth and the depth of it in Christ. That we would know the hope of God's calling at all times and all circumstances whatever our situation is today that we would be overcoming that and in the midst of that knowing your calling in Christ and we pray almighty God that you would give us to understand that we are your glorious inheritance. And yes, we don't look like that. And we don't behave like that at this moment in time. But one day we will be that because of your incomparably great power that is at work in us. Lord God, we pray that we would have confidence in you the master builder 
that you're able to take what is broken, what is ugly, what is unattractive, and you're able to make it beautiful in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen.